You're listening to a message from Severe Heights. To learn more about us, go to www.severeheights.org. Well, if you missed last week, we started this new series. And also, if you missed last week, uh, you're clueless about my glasses. So I started wearing glasses last week and uh, introduced um, the parallel between me and uh, Ryan Reynolds. I had to draw a blank every second. It was funny. Last week, it was, uh, I, I did the same stupid joke every service, you know, until late at night where you're uh, the night, the walk service, I drew a blank and said like Ryan Gosling or something that made no sense. Uh, but um, I, hopefully I do look a little bit more intelligent. That's all that matters. Uh, <laughs> and the fact that I can see. But we started a new series last week. And uh, this series uh, is really, as Doug has hinted at it, it's called Everyone's Got Someone. Meaning there's people that God has placed across our path. We may know, we may not know who they are yet. Um, and everyone's got someone. So the question is, who's your someone? And last week we started talking about what it looks like to go above and beyond on behalf of others. And there's a problem. There's two things that we're wired for. One is efficiency and the other is convenience. Um, we're driven to be efficient. We're driven toward convenience. And the problem is both of those, both of those words are enemies of compassion. Like when you want to do something for someone else, it's like, man, this isn't efficient. And this is not convenient. We gave analogies last week of what it looks like, and uh, there were three images that came to mind um, briefly. Basically, one was a table as we were teaching through this Old Testament story, and the idea is if your family and friends are at a table and you see a seat all by itself, everyone's got someone, what would it look like if you invited that someone to your table? Second analogy was that of a bike, and we reminded all of us what it was like to learn to ride a bike. Typically, someone ran beside us until we got balanced. And so the second question was like, all right, not just about inviting them to the table, but if everyone's got someone, who's my someone that I could run beside in life until they regain their balance? And then the third one was about honoring initiative, like someone that's got the difficulties stacked against them, and yet they're trying, and there's something thoughtful that you can do to honor their initiative. Well, these are issues that, 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 that were uh, examined last week in a story that, that just brought it all to light. This week I wanna do something a little bit different. Not just talk about what compassion looked like, but I wanna talk about why it takes place. But before we do, I wanna talk a little bit more about inconvenience, because inconvenience today is gonna, um, it's gonna play a part still as, we, as the story unfolds. I want you to think back to a time that um, Imagine you're going home from work and you've had a bad day at work. And somebody at your house, doesn't matter if it's your spouse, doesn't matter if it's the kids, doesn't matter if it's somebody, uh, they give you a call. And I mean, you feel like all day you've been doing stuff for everyone else, you know. And they give you a call and they're like, hey, uh, can you stop at the store and bring this home? You're like, ugh. You know, you start to feel like this, is, this isn't convenient. And um, because you've had a bad day, you start thinking, well, what have you done today? You know, you think it and all of a sudden it... It slips out and you vocalize it. Anybody ever done that? I have not done it ever before. So you vocalize it, like you think this. And, and they're like, well, listen, you know, it's, it's on your way. Can't you just stop? But the conversation's gone, gone so long that it's really not on my way. I've already passed the store, right? We've already gone past it and we're getting closer to the house. And no one in this room likes inconvenience. And yet, I'm telling you, when we do something above and beyond for anyone, like thoughtful, Compelling, it's, it's inconvenient. Because when you get tied down with someone that's bogged down, 
you and I have to slow down. And so last week we saw what it looked like. Um, Today, I want us to peek at why we do it. You know, in the early early days of the church, like after Jesus' crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension, the first Jesus movement in Jerusalem did some beautiful things on behalf of people. It was part of the DNA. And today what I want us to do is I want to look at their story and and kind of find out why. Um, In those early days, the Jesus movement started here. Uh, This is Jerusalem. This is where Jesus was crucified. This is where he spent the last week, specifically before his crucifixion. This is where the church would start. The Jesus movement begins inside of Jerusalem, the very place he was crucified. Now, to hear the Jesus stories, like if you're new to church, um, you would read these four books. They're the first part of the New Testament. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Four different accounts on Jesus' birth, his life, even the death and, and his, um, his resurrection. It's, it's all these details. It's beautiful. But then you can't help but wonder, okay, when he ascends into heaven, what happens next? So you get to this book called Acts. Um, as a kid, I used to think it was spelled A-X or A-X-E, but it's A-C-T-S. And it literally means the Acts of the early apostles. So you can't, can't help but wonder, okay, what happened to that, that group of guys, uh, those men and women that were with Jesus after he ascended, what, what takes place? Well, what takes place is Jesus tells them, don't go home, stay in Jerusalem. We'll look at that in a little bit. So I want you to stay in Jerusalem and I want you to wait until the Holy Spirit gives you the power to do all the things that I told you guys to do. And sure enough, they decide to wait and the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And and when the Jesus movement, these little churches start to explode in in Jerusalem, I mean, day one, it's like, it's going crazy. Um, They begin to, to meet in two different environments. The first environment is right here. It's the temple courtyard. This is where the apostles would do all their teaching. They would teach about Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and the way to live life, the way to approach marriage. They would teach about baptism. They would teach about all these essentials. And it would unfold in the temple courtyard, which is exactly where Jesus taught every day on the last week before he was crucified. So that was one of the environments they met in. The second environment they met in was right here. It was outside outside the, the Jerusalem walls where the homes were. Acts 2 tells us that they would meet in the courtyard and they would teach, and and then they would also meet in homes. And in the homes, the believers would gather for for food, for accountability, and for prayer. So it's pretty cool. You think about it. We've got large settings. We've got smaller settings. We've got home settings. Um, This is what's taking place in the early church. And I want us to read in Acts 4 what happened, because this is going to lay the groundwork for why it happened. Here's what's happening. First church, Acts 4.32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. I want you to think about that verse for a minute, especially those of you who've encountered church conflict before. This one simple sentence lets us know these people are getting along. Next verse. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. It may, it may seem over the top, but these people understood the Bible word called stewardship, meaning God owns everything and he's entrusted it to me to leverage on behalf of him. Meaning these people knew my stuff isn't my stuff. This is the early church right out of the gates. Verse 43, now we get to the teaching side. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. They would say, look, he was dead. We saw him die. We saw him buried. But then we saw him alive. We saw the nail marks in his hand. We saw the spear mark in his side. 
And the word testify there is literally a court setting term. It's, it's a definition in which they're saying, look, I was an eyewitness of this account and we got to see it with our own eyes. Verse 40, 33 continues, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them, meaning in this church, that all who were needy, that there were no needy persons among them. Meaning like, if there's a widow in this church, she wasn't going without food. If there were orphans in this church that were attached to this church, they weren't going without food or clothing. If people were facing poverty, their needs were getting met. You gotta ask the question, okay, well, how did that church do that? Like, did they pass a hat or something? Kinda, it says. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them. Uh, they brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. So periodically, to meet a need, people would sell off some of their assets. Maybe it was real estate, maybe it was a vineyard, maybe it was something. And they would take the money that was earned and they would place it at the, the apostles' feet as a statement to say, we're relinquishing control and rights of this and we want it to be used to further and to reach people because everyone's got someone. This is our someone. Now, today, if this is what happened in the first church, like, guys, this is day one. I want us to ask the question, why did they do it? Meaning, if we could build on it, what was their motivation? Uh, what fueled them to take care of others? What got it going? And what maintained it? I don't want to simply look at what they did. I just want us to think about why they did it. And here's why. As we go through this series, everyone's got someone who's my someone. There will be days for all of us in this room. That we're tired. We're overwhelmed. As a matter of fact, I know there are people in this room that deal with people all the time that are needy. Some of us in this room will face moments called compassion fatigue, where you feel like you're tired of helping everyone, or if you help everyone, there's always strings attached. And on days like that, ready? We need to remember why. Like, why do we do this? Why do we go above and beyond? Let me give you some examples of when it's gonna be hard. Like, imagine you've got a good friend and uh, they lost someone in their life, recently passed away, and there's going to be a, a funeral service. Your schedule for that week is extremely busy. Uh, you got work, you got kids at home, you got all the stuff that's going on. Emails, voicemails, texts, you're overwhelmed, but you're like, you know what? I could at least stop by just to make a quick appearance at the funeral home. And so you decide to pull in the funeral home, you see lots of cars there. You, you're trying to plan ahead, so you leave your phone in the car. Um, you go inside and you wait through the line, and. And as you get closer to the front, eye contact is made. And you think, you know, they're floored, but you think it's just going to be a casual hug and let them know that you're praying, but they pull you to the side and they just kind of spill about some of the family struggles that are going on. Because if, if anyone's ever experienced anything like this in life, when you lose a loved one, um, dysfunction does not disappear with the death of a loved one. Sometimes it just gets, gets harder, right? I hear the laughter. You know what I'm talking about. But they open up to you. And all of a sudden, they just talk longer and longer. And you know what? Even though the phone's 100 feet that way, you can feel all the notifications going off. You're trying to pay attention, but your mind is elsewhere. Uh, you're so moved that you're thinking, man, you know what? I probably, probably ought to go to the, the burial tomorrow. Maybe I ought to get together for lunch or something this week. 
And then what's going to happen is as the week unfolds, your week's going to get busy again. And you're going to think through scenarios. I just don't know if I have time. I, like, I, I, I've got so much other stuff going on. Why? Why do I do this? That's why this message is important. Or perhaps in the room, let's say you volunteer somewhere in this city. Maybe, um, maybe you volunteer at this church. And let's say you're a lady and you decided to hone in and volunteer with seventh grade girls because you remember somebody shaped you when you were a seventh grade girl. And so you help out with something after school. You help out something on Wednesday nights. You do something in some extraordinary way. And you were pumped. But now it's November and you're like, what was I thinking? Seventh grade girls, right? Like all the energy and all the drama and all these things. And periodically you're going to need to be reminded. Why am I doing this? Or others in this room. As we talked last week. And right now you're walking with someone it's going through some tragedy until they gain their balance. Or you've invited somebody up to the table, and you know what? It's costing you and your family more than you ever thought. Periodically, you and I will need reminders. Okay, why do I do this? Why did the early church do this? Why should the church do this? And I want us to discover why. Because if we don't know the real reason why, it takes a matter of time before we develop an excuse where we stop doing it at all. Number one... For this church, it was commanded by Jesus. Now, this early church in Acts 4, you got to keep in mind, this, um, this was not their idea, okay? Like, like, this wasn't something they got together and said, um, okay, now that Jesus has ascended into heaven, died, buried, um, should we have a, a committee for this and let's create bylaws, let's uh, create all these uh, constitutions, and, and let's just vote whether or not we should be kind, right? No, they didn't do this. It wasn't their idea. It was Jesus's. I mean, roll back the footage just like three months before this. Jesus was in our upper room with the disciples, John 13, verse 34. Listen to this, a new command, a new command that I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It was commanded by Jesus. It's like, it's not an idea. It's not a suggestion. It's not just something that's out there. He's like, no, I'm commanding you to do this, to love others. And when you do this, people that are outside the faith will know that you're with me. A couple of decades later, the Apostle Paul piggybacked off what Jesus was teaching. And, and Paul writes a letter to the Roman province of Galatia. And he makes this statement, Galatians 6, verse 2, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. That's a neat phrase, like the law of Christ. Some are probably sitting here thinking, okay, what is the Jesus law? Like, like, like what would it be? Uh, the last couple of weeks of Jesus' life, he was getting grilled by some religious leaders to the point where they were trying to trap him, put him in a predicament where he wasn't going to give the right answer on behalf of the law. And they said, hey, okay, on behalf of the laws and the rules, what's the most important one? And Jesus said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he said this, and the second one's just like it, to love someone else as much as you love you. And so Paul is saying in Galatians 6 too, Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. Some things were never meant to be carried alone. Right? Um, some guys are going to come in right now, and this probably will just give you a little bit of a clue on what it's like. 
uh, at your house. Um, you know what it's like when you're alone, you've got to move something like this. And if you had to do it by yourself, it gets extremely awkward. It gets extremely cumbersome. You break things, you hurt things, you even hurt yourself. But if you got two, it makes it a ton better. I mean, after all, this thing is heavy. This thing is cumbersome. And what the Apostle Paul is reminding us, you think about it. Did you ever notice that life gets heavy? I'm telling you, life wasn't meant to be dealt with alone. Grief is heavy. There are families that are part of this church right now that are going through unbearable grief. You go to a funeral home, it's heavy. You go to an empty home, it's heavy. What can you do? What can I do to lighten the load? Now this, this church is filled with college students. It's a beautiful thing. College students and college debt is heavy. Completely different levels, but it's heavy. Let's say that you're a little bit past the college age, or maybe you're you're an established family and you got to the point where you're upgrading furniture at the house, right? If, a, if student loans are heavy for a college student, let's say you get a new couch. You upgraded your furniture. What would it look like to acknowledge a college student and say, hey, we've upgraded our furniture. We'd like to give you this couch. You're not eliminating their debt, but you're lightening the load. I can assure you. How about um, some of you that are waiting with families consistently that are going through marriage issues, Child issues, job issues. Ready? Question is, what would it look like for you to pick up this side of the couch and to simply walk with them? See, this was the first reason why the early church did it. It was commanded by Jesus. The New Testament continues to emphasize it by, by, by Paul saying, carry one another's burdens. And in this way, you're doing exactly what the law of Jesus said, to love God with all your heart and to love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. I've got an observation to make though. It's easier when someone deserves their help. It's tough, it's difficult when they don't. To which we bring up the second reason why this church went above and beyond on behalf of people. Number one, it was commanded by God. Number two, it was fueled by grace. I want us to circle back to the words in that story, Acts 4, 33. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy persons among them. Meaning people weren't starving to death in this Jesus group because the Jesus group, the Jesus movement was going above and beyond on their behalf, which was grace at work. They weren't doing it because they felt obligated to do it. They didn't do it out of guilt. They didn't do it out of shame. They did it because they'd seen grace. Guys, months earlier, this happened to them. The cross was a current event still. They heard Jesus scream. They saw him cry. They saw him die. And he died on their behalf. Literally, this was still current, current news. And no wonder this early church is going above and beyond because it was fueled by grace. Like when we do stuff on behalf of others, the reason why is because God moved into our direction first. Like he took the first move. 
Understand, like, like this grace was so powerful at work that these people, it was the New Testament thing, like, like they're giving grace because they've been recipients of grace. Paul would piggyback off of this teaching when he's writing to the city of Ephesus, like the fourth largest city in its time in the Roman province. Think New York City. Can you imagine at that, at that setting, that size? And Paul tells the believers, he makes this statement, Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as God forgave you. Like the reason we forgive other people is because he forgave us first. Chapter 5, verse 1, the next verse. Follow God's example, Paul says. Therefore, as dearly loved children. He's encouraging them to do what God did for them. He's like, to the ladies, you are treasured daughters because of God's grace. To the men, you are cherished sons because of God's grace. Verse 2. And walk in the way of love. Just as Jesus loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Meaning, we didn't make the first move. God did. So anything we do on behalf of others is a response to what God has already done for us. Yes, the series is called Everyone's Got Someone, Who's Your Someone? But as we closed last week, there is one, his name is Jesus, who took on himself the sins of everyone. And that includes you and me. And the reason why we do what we do on behalf of others, it's fueled by grace. God was looking out for us. Here's something that I want us to say together. You ready? God was looking out for me. Let's say it out loud. God was looking out for me. Like, like if you want to... If you have a busy schedule, something feels inefficient, something feels inconvenient, and yet you know a need needs to be met. Like, you can invite someone up to your table in a real sense. You can walk beside them until they get balance, or you want to honor initiative, but you're overwhelming. Understand, the reason we do what we do is because God was looking out for us. So why do they do it? Why do we do it? Number one, it's commanded by God. Number two... It was, it was fueled by grace. And number three, you ready for this? It was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, now I want you to consider what happened. To this early church in Acts 4, if you'll remember, the followers of Jesus, he said, I want you to go back to Jerusalem. This is where I want to expound on this a little bit. He says, I want you to stay at Jerusalem. Don't go back home where it's safe. Don't go to your job where it's safe. Don't go to your town where it's safe. I want you to go to Jerusalem, the place that put me to death, the place where the people didn't like me, the, the place that... They really didn't like you. I want you to go back there. He tells these early apostles and he says, I want you to go there and I want you to pray and I want you to wait because I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit as a promise. Look at it. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses inside of Jerusalem, inside of Judea, to Samaria. And to the ends of the earth, guys, in order for that to happen, you're going to have to wait. On behalf of the Holy Spirit, what he's saying is he'll give you the strength to do what you could never do on your own. In other words, you'll have outside help. So when you see someone that's, that's bogged down, 
and you decide to get tied down, which means you'll have to slow down. Your schedule's so full. You feel like there's strings attached. You feel like, man, this is not efficient. This is, this is inconvenient. Understand, you will have outside help. Like when your schedule's full and you feel like there's so many emails, so many meetings, so many people pressing at everything, and yet God has compelled you to do something special on behalf of this family or this group of people. Understand, the Holy Spirit will empower you. You and I will have outside help. The reason this message is so important, you may not need it this week, and you may not need it next week, but in a few weeks, when you go above and beyond on behalf of somebody else, and you're tired of it, and you're not sure it's working, you've got compassion fatigue and you don't know why, eventually there will be a moment when I pray that you will not forget the undercurrent behind the compassion of the first followers of Jesus in the city of Jerusalem. The undercurrent, why? Why'd they do that? Because, because, because. Because it was commanded by Jesus. Because it was fueled by grace. And because it was empowered by the Holy Spirit. As we close today, I'm just going to be transparent. If there's one of these that I need a little bit more help with than the others, it's that second one. Grace. Um, if I know how to receive grace, I promise you, I'll know how to give it. Some in this room are still trying to earn grace. Some in this room think you can deserve it. Some in this room are trying really, really hard to measure up. I just want you to listen to me. If you've never received God's grace, it's virtually impossible to give it. And so for just a second, if anybody's experienced compassion fatigue, I'm, I'm one. How about taking a little bit of time to think about how gracious how gracious the Father was for us by sending the Son. Kind of crazy. And I could tell today I had everyone's undivided attention when we pulled up the picture of the cross and reminded you that it was the current event. Here we are, 2022. Grace can kind of fall off our map periodically. And I want to press in even more. If you're still trying to earn everything, you will demand the people around you earn everything and you will be hard to live with. Greedy, selfish, do not disturb. But God has called us to be compassionate. Everyone's got someone. I'm praying for you. Who's your someone? And for those today that are they're kind of wondering why we do it, I hope I hope this passage put it on your map. Like put it on the front of your mind. Okay, the reason why. When I get overwhelmed, when I feel like it's inefficient, when I feel like it's inconvenient, Jesus commanded me to do this. It's fueled by grace. God took the first move. And I'm gonna have outside help, the Holy Spirit, 
is there on my behalf. I want to close today by reading a verse that is a prayer from the Apostle Paul to the followers of Jesus at Ephesus on their behalf. This is what he prayed. Ephesians 3, 17. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, that you would have power together with all the Lord's holy people, so the people to your left and to your right, to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Jesus. And to know this love that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Today with heads bowed and eyes closed, I'd like to close us out with a prayer. Father, I thank you that today was a brief reminder of why for myself. I pray that it would encourage people in this room that periodically feel like I can't do it anymore. I don't have the time. I feel drained. Because so many in this room just work with needy people. And we can experience compassion fatigue. But if we were to really sit still the next opportunity and to remember that you commanded us to do this, no strings attached, and that you took the first move, meaning the reason why we would do this is it's fueled by grace. And even though we think about a busy schedule or think about how people have let us down before, think about how we don't have it in us, today remind us that we have outside help. It's the Holy Spirit. I pray that for individuals in this room, God. I pray that for myself. I pray that for our family. I pray that for this church. And then and only then will we truly shape the way this city views the local church by letting them see Jesus. Thank you that you took the first move. And I pray this today in Jesus' name.